0: To another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host David Hoffman. It's episode 12. We are really racking up the episodes right now. I'm sorry. Uh, this is a Friday episode. Uh, it might, it's almost a week late, but hey, I, I didn't miss another race, so you know I'm gonna give myself that. It's been a little bit of a hectic week with uh, schoolwork, doing stuff with the television station here, and then doing radio later tonight. So it's been a little bit, you know, overwhelming. But hey, I figured out a way to you know get the rundown done just about two minutes ago and now I'm just gonna record this and hope everything goes alright. But anyway, before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously No Copyright Music, so it's free, I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them, No Copyright Music. On today's episode we have the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 recap, I'll give you my winners and losers of the week give you some key news uh, going through the IndyCar world. And I'll obviously give you my promo for this weekend's race in Portland. And I'll give you some practice results because that uh, practice session just ended a couple minutes ago. So I'll give you guys uh, the practice one in Portland update. And uh, let's get right into it. I bet you guys are loving that sound. I love that transition right there. I'll try not to get too distracted by it every single time, but mm -mm, nothing beats it. Just saying. Anyway, the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 race recap. Points leader Joseph Newgarden snagged the pole, with four-time champ Sebastian Bourdais starting alongside him. And important to note, championship contenders Alexander Rossi and Scott Dixon would start 11th and 8th, respectively. It was a frantic opening lap uh, where Newgarden would prevail going into turn 1, but further back, Takuma Sada would get wicked loose under Ryan Hunter-Reay. However, both would continue on without any issues. Also on lap 1, Marcus Erickson would get loose and slow coming out of turn 4, and the caution would come out. It was an absolutely insane opening lap, uh, 3-4 wide going into turn 1 and 2, then off the backstretch going into 3. Guys were frantically fighting for every single position. Moving on to lap 54, caution would come out for Team Penske's Will Power, who would get up into the gray area on the track, and he would slap the wall. On lap 67, major trouble for championship contender Scott Dixon. A hole in the radiator on the opening lap would eventually lead to water pressure loss and a permanent trip to the garage. Dixon would wind up finishing 20th. Then on lap 69, James Hinchcliffe would lead the field back to the green flag, but rookie phenom Santino Ferrucci would be breathing down in the neck of last year's most popular driver. Then on lap 83, Ferrucci would dive underneath Hinchcliffe to take the lead, and then Ferrucci would have a commanding lead for a large chunk of the next stint. On lap 192, Sebastian Bourdais, or a Santino Ferrucci, his teammate likes to call him, Dad, would get up in the gray area, hit the wall, and break the suspension of his car, promptly ending his night. That timely yellow would allow Takuma Sato, Tony Kanan, Ed Carpenter, and Joseph Newgarden to leapfrog the leaders. During that pit cycle before the Bordet crash, those four would lap Ferrucci, Rossi, and Hinchcliffe, who were the current leaders at the time. That would mean they'd be able to pit under yellow and keep their track position since the leaders before the pit cycle had to come around and get their lap back. Then, with 20 laps to go, Alexander Rossi would be forced to pit early, trying anything he could to gain spots back in game time on the leaders. the final three laps, the battle would rage on between Takuma Sato and Ed Carpenter, putting on an absolute thriller. Coming to the checkered flag, Sato would just edge out Carpenter by three one-hundredths of a second, noshing his second win of the season. Behind them, Joseph Newgarden would force yet another potentially championship-altering move that would find him spinning and coasting towards the line. He would lose three spots in that process. A replay afterwards showed Newgarden diving underneath Ferrucci, who had slid up into the marbles in turn four and then drove his Honda back down in front of Newgarden. He would then get loose underneath Ferrucci and spin. Newgarden was not pleased after the race, saying that the move Ferrucci did was absolutely dangerous. In quote. He came directly down a block at the end, which there was no reason to. I gave him the position twice. I was dealing with vibrations all night. My car was getting worse to drive throughout the race, and I gave him the position over and over again. He's got to learn that this is professional auto racing, and if you do that on an oval, you could cause a very serious wreck. Ferrucci, after, responded, saying, At the end, I was just trying to get Tony Canaan, and I lost the car. I wanted to get out of the marbles, and I didn't close the line on him too much. Obviously, we're fighting for two different championships, and at the end, I did what I had to do to save that car, and unfortunately, he got the worst of it. He did finish the race, and he still picked up some championship points. Overall, I could have given him a little bit more room, but I really wanted that hardware. There's a little bit of a spat between those two. Uh, They'll be the face of IndyCar for years to come. Obviously, Ferrucci being a rookie, and Newgarden being the young American star who's been able to make a name for himself with the 2017 championship, and he might just lock up his second championship in the last three years uh, in the, in the uh, next couple weeks. But the thing is, I saw that, you know, watching the replay of it, I saw that as a racing move. I didn't see anything wrong with what Ferrucci did. Ferrucci had to do what, whatever he could to keep his position. And Newgarden, he kind of forced the issue by like just diving down underneath Ferrucci. Knowing that the car may not stick at all, and it obviously didn't, and Newgarden you know, pushed up and ended up spinning around, and there's nothing Ferrucci could have done about that. I mean, I respect Justin Newgarden a whole lot, but it's something, you know, Santino Ferrucci has to stand up for himself. He has to make a name for himself, and that's the only way you're going to be able to do that, is if you don't back down from competitors, and you're able to, you know, continue on and just fight every single lap. I'm sure these guys, you know, they'll talk about it in the next couple days and they'll be fine, I'm sure. But it's just one of those things where I didn't see anything Santino Ferrucci did wrong. I totally get where Newgarden's coming from. Obviously, he's just trying to look out for Ferrucci so he doesn't make a a bad move like that to Indianapolis. But it's one of those things where Ferrucci, he'll learn and he's just going to continue to get better each and every week. And obviously he has. And if I was Newgarden, I wouldn't have pushed the issue to try and get one more spot, and then it ended up costing you like three or four spots. But, I mean, all in all, that's just more of a racing incident, and there's nothing really to come out of it. And now looking at the results, Takuma Sato was your winner, followed by Ed Carpenter and Tony Kanon. And a little side note, the average age of the podium was 41.3, the 20th oldest podium since 1956. Needless to say, the old guys outsmarted the young guns and flexed their muscles last Saturday night. Santino Ferrucci, the rookie, ended up finishing 4th, Simon Pagano 5th, Connor Daly 6th, which is the best uh, finish this year for Connor Daly, Joseph Newgarden 7th, Ryan hunter Ray 8th, rookie Colton hurt in 9th, and Marco Andretti in the top 10. Let's go, Marco. a boy. And now moving on to the standings, Joseph Newgarden still has the points lead, and he has a 38-point gap to Simon Pagino in 2nd. Alexander Rossi, 46 points behind in third, Scott Dixon, 70 points behind in fourth, and Will Power, 147 points behind in fifth. Not a lot of movement in the standings. I mean, Takuma Sato jumped up to sixth in points, Ryan hunter reay is seventh, Graham Ray Hall eighth, Santino Ferrucci did jump up three spots up to ninth, and uh, Felix Rosenquist is currently tenth in points, with the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe, right outside the top ten in eleventh in points. I will not make race car noises. I swear, I will not do it. I will not do it. I know my girlfriend's probably thinking, when are you going to do it? Come on, come on. Shout out to her. She actually does listen every week, and that's pretty cool. You know, one of uh, three or four uh, listeners I have every single week. My mom, my dad, and my girlfriend. Bam, that's all you need. (laughs) Anyway, let's uh, move on to winner number three, Connor Daly. Daly's had himself quite the 2019 season to date. Coming into the season with just an Indy 500 ride with Andretti Autosport, Daly had to take advantage of his only opportunity in the biggest race of the year. He was able to capitalize on it, and he found himself quick the entire month of May, and then managed to grind out for 500 miles to earn a career-best 10th-place finish in the greatest spectacle in racing. Daly was then presented the opportunity to run at Texas last minute for Carlin Racing, and he was able to capitalize on a not-so-good situation, starting 19th and finishing just outside the top 10 in 11th. Two more opportunities presented itself with Carlin Racing, and both times, Daly was able to get the most out of the car, finishing 13th in Iowa and 11th in Pocono. Now this brings us to Gateway. Daly had a slight bobble in qualifying, and that would put him back to 18th on the starting grid. However, he was able to quickly slice his way through the field, and found himself in the top 10 by lap 51. Despite a pit stop sequence that would put him back to 11th, Daly would only work his way back up again, and by the end of the night, he crossed the finish line in 6th. What made Daly's run impressive is the fact that he, number one, was thrown into the fire halfway through the season for this team. It's extremely difficult to build chemistry with the team and engineers within a month or two. And number two, he pushed a team in Carlin who is rarely a contender into a top 10 team. Carlin Racing is by no means a top notch race team. They're lower funded and they don't really contend for a top 10 finish on a weekly basis. Daly told IndyCar.com after the race, I'm so thankful for Carlin giving me this car. It's such a joy to drive on these ovals when the car is really good. It was tonight. It was solid overall moving forward and I was racing with the guys I want to race with like Simon Pagano and Alexander Rossi. Racing with those guys is an incredible amount of fun and I can be proud of that. Connor Daly cemented the fact that he indeed deserves a full-time ride with a top-notch team. My question to teams looking for drivers next season would be this. If he's able to compete for top tens every week with a team that lacks equipment and technical support, What do you think he can do with the support behind him for a full season? Moving on to winner number two, Tony Kanaan for AJ Foyt Racing. Two weeks in a row, TK is on the winner's list. Wow, it's what a wild season it's been. Kanaan's weekend didn't start off the way he wanted it to, running 17th and 12th in both practice sessions, and then qualifying back in 20th. Speed was lacking for the 2013 Indy 500 winner, and that's sadly how it's been all season for the entire AJ Foyt Racing team. However, as soon as the green flag dropped, Kanan made some daring passes on the outside, and by lap 7, he had jumped up to 13th. Kanan hung around 10th all night, but great strategy and a little bit of luck turned into a caution before he had to pit, and he would leapfrog up to 2nd with 43 laps to go. Kanan gave it all he had in those final laps, and afterwards he said, I had a couple of really good restarts and I was trying to go for Sato, but I didn't have it. So on days like this, sometimes you have to evaluate what you've got and what you want to do. A podium, that is what I was aiming for. Ed Carpenter got extremely strong at the end and I couldn't hold him off, so I actually opted to let him go. For Kanan, it was his first podium since Texas in 2017 where he finished second. Even though it won't really affect points too much, Kanan and AJ Foyt Racing have found something in that cart as of late, and the results show for it. He and the team have been able to notch 3 top 10s in the last 4 races, something by mid-season nobody thought was possible. It goes to show that you can never give up when times get rough and shaky. It's been a long time coming for AJ Foyt Racing, especially with their last podium being almost five years ago in 2015 at Detroit with Tucumasato. Kanan also had this quote with NBCSN's Robin Miller after the race. Happy for the team, happy to shut up some of the people that are criticizing us. It is what it is. I think when I go through tough times, I perform better, so that's what's going to happen. Bring it on, keep it coming. Well, TK, you've been able to shut me up for two weeks in a row, so that takes a lot to do, so I'll, I'll tip my cap to you. Job well done. And now, moving on to our winner number one of the week. Drumroll, please! <laughs> Takuma Sato for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. I'll tell you one thing if anyone's had to go through the most garbage on social media the past two weeks, it's been Sato. We all know by now about the controversial move he made in Pocono, and it's something that simply won't go away, no matter how much he wanted to avoid it. Sato was straight up fast all weekend, and with a 5th place qualifying effort, he was sitting in an outstanding position to capitalize. However, the night didn't start anywhere close to what he would have imagined. A slow start to the race put Sato in a vulnerable position, and he found himself going 4 wide going into turn 1 on lap 1. He tried to hold his line, but that would only cause a near disaster with Ryan hunter reay Sato would get loose in the middle of Hunter Ray and James Hinchcliffe, however, Sato would do a remarkable job of saving the car, and he would continue on back in 13th. Falling back to 13th would put Sato and his Ray Hall, letterman lanigan team in a precarious position. That would lead them to opt out to a different strategy from the leaders and hope it played out in their favor. Fortunately for Sato, that timely caution would come, and he would lead the final 48 laps and prevail in an epic duel with Ed Carpenter. For Sato, it was a picture-perfect way to respond to Pocono's controversy. No excuses, no lingering thoughts about the past. Sato did exactly like any true racer would do. Put his head down, focus on what's ahead, and come back with a vengeance to silence the doubters. Sato said after the race, The win is always special, particularly after the difficult circumstances. Just head down, do our job, and believe in ourselves and taking the moment to come back. We came back. There's something about Takuma Sato that rarely any driver in the IndyCar paddock or the rest of the racing world have. He has a killer instinct that he's going to take the chance that no matter how questionable it is, he's well prepared to face that outcome, whether good or bad. At 42 years old, Sato is still performing at such a high level, and he has that X-factor quality as a driver that a lot of veterans in the sport simply don't have. He'll take any car he opts into and always get 110% out of it. Now, Sato has a great opportunity to go back-to-back this weekend in Portland, especially with confidence, momentum on his side, and a hunger to do whatever it takes to win any given weekend. Oh boy, it is officially that time where we go over our top three losers of the week. I'll start off with loser number three, Will Power for Team Penske. Power was finally able to knock the chip off his shoulder in Pocono and break through to continue his impressive win streak of 13 years in a row. Going into last Saturday night's race, Power had a great qualifying effort of third and he would be in great position to contend for a second win in a row. Power was sitting pretty through one round of pit stops in second, but then on lap 52, his bad luck would continue. While getting up to speed after another round of pit stops, Power went wide in turns three and four and tagged the outside wall. The damage was severe enough to force the Verizon Chevrolet to retire for the night, in dead last. Just when I thought their luck was beginning to turn around after a huge win, Power has a costly mistake that ends any chance of going back-to-back and continuing their positive momentum. Power still sits solidly fifth in points, however, the 2019 season just hasn't been his year at all. Costly mistakes on pit road, driver errors in the pits, mistakes on track, and straight-up bad luck has hindered this team from competing for a championship. Despite all that, I have no doubt the number 12 Verizon team will figure it out and work out any kinks to be ready for next season. Moving on to loser number 2, Scott Dixon for Chip Ganassi Racing. Dixon had made up a pretty big chunk of points over the past couple weeks, and going into Gateway he had cut the margin from 80 plus points to just 36. A disappointing qualifying effort of 8th meant Dixon would have to be more aggressive on the initial start. Before the green flag dropped, something punctured a hole in the radiator, but for the first stint, there wasn't any sign that the puncture had happened. However, after running as high as 6, the water pressure dropped and there will not be any solution to the problem. Finishing a disappointing 20th, now Dixon is all but out of the championship hunt, 70 points back with only two races to go. Looking back on the season briefly, Dixon was pretty much as consistent as he ever has been outside of a rare crash in Detroit race 1 and disappointing 17th place finish in the Indy 500. The gateway issue is one of those odd events during the race that rarely happen. It's unfortunate, because I was getting hyped up to see Dixon come out of nowhere and steal another championship at the last second. Dixon is one of those drivers that you can never count out, because he and his Chip Ganassi Racing team always seem to find a way to overcome and come back stronger than ever. I expect Dixon to be fighting for a sixth title next season. Loser number one, Alexander Rossi for Andretti Autosport. The unfortunate circumstance in Pocono which led to Rossi losing valuable points in the championship hunt was devastating overall for the entire Andretti Autosport team. Going into Gateway, they had to scramble to figure out how they could get back to pressuring Joseph Newgarden. A tough qualifying effort of 11th left the team pondering why they didn't have the most competitive times. During the race, Rossi simply didn't have a winning car. Strategy vaulted them up as high as 3rd, and before that cost the yellow in the closing 40 laps, Rossi was running 5th. With worn tires and running close on fuel, Rossi would be forced to pit with 19 laps to go. He would end up finishing in 13th, one lap down. Looking at Rossi's results these past couple weeks, bad luck and lack of speed has plagued his Andretti Autosport team. In Iowa, where he finished 6th, it seemed like the car flatlined around 5th through 10th, and that's all it had. Then in mid-Ohio, Rossi had a good car, but not a great car, and he never once had a whiff of the lead, and he would end up running around 5th to 8th all day. Sixth and fifth place is great consistency, however the way Joseph Newgarden has been running all season long, you have to be running in position for a podium week in and week out in order to take down the team Penske star. Maybe if Rossi would have notched two top fives these past two weeks in Pocono and Gateway, he'd still be well in contention. However, with two bad weeks in a row, it would take a mistake by both Newgarden and Pagano for Rossi to seriously re-enter the championship picture. little bit of news for you today actually let's first go off and look at the practice results for Portland for practice one Colton Hurto is fastest followed by Alexander Rossi Scott Dixon Joseph Newgarden Marco Andretti James Hinchcliffe Zach Veach Felix Rosenquist Ryan Hunter Ray and Tsukuma Sato the top 10 in first practice in Portland it appears Rossi has a bit of a chip on the shoulder right now, which obviously, you know, they're scrambling to get as many points as possible and get back into this championship hunt. Hey, you know, if, if uh, Rossi is able to notch a win in Portland and go into the finale with a shot with a double points, mind you, at Laguna Seca, he might still be in it. But we'll have to see come Sunday. In the news, Aerosmith-Peterson Motorsports driver Marcus Ericsson will not race this weekend in Portland, following a request from Formula 1 team Alfa Romeo to be at this weekend's race in Belgium. Ericsson will be on standby for Kimi Raikkonen, who pulled a muscle recently. 2019 Super Sub Connor Daly will be Ericsson's replacement in Portland. I really think Ericsson's days are numbered in IndyCar. He struggled for a good bit of the season, even though he's shown flashes on Oval specifically, as well as a second-place finish in Detroit Race 2. Ericsson has said recently that he loves IndyCar and hopes to stay with Arrow SPM going forward. However, I feel the team will look elsewhere. Looking on the other side of the story, Connor Daly has a unique opportunity to show Arrow Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, as well as McLaren, what he can do. Obviously, we don't definitively know where James Hinchcliffe is going yet, but a duo of Daly and Hinchcliffe at Arrow McLaren SPM next season is a very solid option. I think it'll be interesting to see if Daly can adjust quickly during the weekend and compete in the top 10 in terms of speed. He's been able to adapt extremely well so far this year, especially with the unknown of whether or not he'll be racing the next week. This will be a topic to keep an eye on as the weekend progresses. In other news, the 2020 NTT IndyCar Series schedule will be released later this week, so probably I'd say tomorrow or Sunday, maybe even uh, Monday, but... Richmond is most likely going to take Pocono's spot in the schedule with no indication that plan has changed. And that is all we have so far for uh, what the upcoming 2020 schedule will look like. But I'm sure after the uh, schedule gets released that I'll go over that during next week's episode and break that down a little bit for you guys. And now here is my personal soapbox for the week. This past week in Gateway saw a crowd of more than 42,000 people in attendance the highest at the track, since it came back on the schedule in 2017. However, the race got a dismal 0.23 overnight rating on NBCSN, down from last year at 0.26. For anyone wondering about how the ratings work, basically it's all based on Nielsen Media Research. The company has been researching ratings for over 50 years. Once they figure out the sample size of households around the entire United States, Nielsen measures viewing numbers with electronic meters that track with TVs are tuned into. Back in 2017, for example, Nielsen estimated that 118.4 million households had TVs. The rating is the percent of that grand total. It's all very complicated, as you can tell. It's way too much math involved for my liking, so I'm getting kinda pissy just thinking about math. You get the picture. The ratings for Gateway just were absolute garbage, and I really don't understand why. Although they were competing with the college football season opener with Miami and Florida playing around the same time, but it still shouldn't have uh, affected the ratings that much. For the majority of the season, ratings have been at an all-time high with NBC. Through five races on the major network, NBC is averaging 2.3 million viewers per race. That's definitely a massive step in the right direction, however there's still a lot of work to do in order to get IndyCar even remotely close to what it once was. There are so many factors when it comes to ratings, and I wish I could pinpoint exactly why ratings were so low for arguably the best race of the season, but I honestly don't. IndyCar finally has a stable TV network deal and I have to hand it to NBC, they've done a phenomenal job in marketing each and every race on TV, especially the Indianapolis 500. Fans tuning in to NFL, NHL, and NASCAR are exposed to an IndyCar advertisement at least two or three times during one of the televised events, so it's definitely progress. Marketing and getting the younger demographic interested is what's going to get IndyCar back on the map. I personally believe IndyCar needs to branch off from NBCSN's weekly Motorsport Hour and have their own weekly show talking about the sport of IndyCar exclusively. Creative content gets viewers and fans involved more and gets them more excited for the upcoming race. A show like that would also allow for more personal interviews with the drivers and team owners, showcasing on a national stage all the great personalities that IndyCar has in the paddock. And now time for your weekly promo. This weekend, the NTT IndyCar series heads to Portland for the penultimate event before the finale at Laguna Seca. Can Alexander Rossi dust off a disappointing last few weeks and zero in on points leader Joseph Newgarden? Or will Simon Pagino snag a win and push for a second championship? The pressure is mounting and tempers may begin to boil over. Make sure to tune in to the Grand Prix of Portland on Sunday, September 1st at 3.30 PM Eastern time on NBC. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at BehindCatch and Instagram at Behind underscore the underscore fence. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch you later.